We're doomed, we're saved. The Biorevolution Podcast. Your hosts, Luise von Stecho and Andreas Horchler. We're doomed, we're saved, episode number 19, easy, quite a bit. And today it's two scientists and one dumb journalist. <laughs> and mRNA therapeutics is our topic today, new applications for an old molecule. If I remember correctly from biology class in school, the big shot was always the DNA. Everybody was talking about the DNA, nobody was talking about RNA. It was kind of a niche or something. So it was in the shadows, now it's in the light. And true, I think for the majority of people out there, that this was deeply connected with the COVID vaccine and the development of that. That was the first time RNA, the term RNA for a broader public, was came to life again. But in the science community, that was quite different for a long time, and that's obviously what we are going to discuss. So, Izzy, you brought not only quotes, but also a guest. Yes, I will start with a quote and then we can introduce our guest because today we have a real mRNA scientist on our podcast, which will be very cool. exciting. Yes, yay. So concerning the quote, uh, today I brought a quote from Anthony Fauci. I think we had a quote from him before. Yeah. So of course, the vaccine big shot and also someone who got quite a bit of the backlash of the anti-vax movement in the United States. And he commanded Carico Weiss on the Nobel Prize, so two mRNA researchers who were awarded the Nobel Prize this year, sorry, last year in November. And he said, this is a wonderful choice of Nobel Prize. It's the classical example of years and years long collaboration on a very, very difficult problem. They doggedly kept at it and made a discovery that has already transformed many areas of biomedical research, which I think is a great quote, because I think what I really like about the topic, and I wanted to talk about it for a long time, is that you have this like, really long work on something and no one cares that right. much about it and suddenly it really comes to bloom and something really great comes out of it. And I think one of the researchers who got the Nobel Prize, Weisman, he was also postdoc in Fauci's lab for a time, I think. So mm -hmm. they also... Makes sense. Yes. Yeah. Makes absolutely. a lot of sense. Our guest. Our guest. So Lucia, mRNA researcher who actually, I think, worked on mRNA before it became so sexy. So maybe you want to introduce yourself <laughs> yeah, a little bit. That's true. So my name is Lucia, indeed. I'm working with mRNA uh, since 10 years, I would say, right now. So I started with my PhD work. And actually, yes, 10 years ago, as you say, it was not such a sexy topic as it is right now. It was like a niche. And, but I mean, the, I would say I already seen at that time the potential of this technology. I mean, but what was actually still missing was that the companies believe on that and put the money on that. And actually, yeah, the COVID gave us a really a boost on this. I mean, if we want to, the only thing maybe that we can say we can thanks to the COVID outbreak was indeed that could help uh, scientists and mRNA technologists who came into clinical and into a billion of people, right? I mean, and help us to also to escape for, yes, COVID, uh, COVID outbreak, right? Yeah. I mean, yeah. save us in the end. I mean, that's... From, from my basic understanding, did you do your PhD in biology as well, and all, 
even even back then on the topic of mRNA? Yeah. Okay. So okay. I, I so my my focus so the focus of my PhD was indeed the mRNA vaccine. At that time, I had the chance to do an industrial PhD. So I was in a, in a, another company, in a company that was back in Italy. And yes, we were working with a self-amplifying messenger RNA that it's one of the, I would say, different mRNAs that you can use for vaccine or therapeutics. And, uh, and then also there was, uh, I would say, excitement about that. But as I say, there was no such a push from to, to bring it over. And so, yes, but I mean, that was where I started. Different companies, also ac academists worked uh, on this topic, but always, as I say, it was a bit a niche or a bit like a um, topic that was still, was considered as a huge potential, but not still ready to invest uh, much on that. Let's try and fresh up memory. What is RNA? What is M, the messenger RNA? In a nutshell, one might say it's kind of the do-it-all biomolecule. Yeah, one could say that. So mRNA is like the bridging molecule between DNA and proteins. So DNA is the storage material of the cell. So there the genes encode all the information. Almost every cell of our body contains the same DNA that we get from our parents. And that has the building plan for all the proteins in the cell. That said, the DNA itself cannot be translated directly into proteins. And the mRNA is in between to translate the message from the storage material into the protein. That's The information flow in biology that was actually described by uh, Francis Crick in his so-called central dogma, which was proven slightly wrong since, but let's not get into that. <laughs> but yeah, so mRNA is this messenger RNA. There are many, many different other RNAs that we unfortunately don't have time to talk about today because they're also very exciting. So RNA is basically the most versatile of the biomolecules in a sense because it takes on many, many shapes, many forms, and it has many different functions. And it might also be the oldest. So there's this hypothesis of the RNA world that the first biomolecule that actually introduced life was RNA because it can store information and it can work as an enzyme. But that's all maybe more of a side note. What we're talking about is mRNA and how mRNA can work as a therapeutic. Let's talk a little bit about the therapeutics. I mean, we also mentioned that in the broader public that seemed to be something that has been developed in the past like three, four years since COVID, basically. And it's been around for a long time in the field of fighting cancer, for instance, very strongly. But also in other circumstances, can you describe the letter leading to the success we recently witnessed with covid Were there any breakthroughs where you could say, okay, we, we found the right measure to get the messenger to the right place that it does actually something? So I would say, yes, you're right. I mean, it's the, I would say people think it's something that was surprising work, right? And But that's not actually the, the truth because, I mean, yes, scientists worked with mRNA since uh, 80s and 90s. So actually the first, if I'm not wrong, the first proof that uh, in vitro transcribed mRNA worked in the animals 
and could produce the protein that you encoded into the mRNA is back to the beginning of the 90s. Let me chime in quickly just for our non-scientific listeners that in vitro transcribed RNAs are RNAs that scientists produce in a lab. So it's just made in a lab and then put into the body as opposed to the naturally occurring RNAs that the body just makes. Yeah, that's correct. Uh, indeed, uh, yes, I mean, uh, the, that, that, as I say, that was one of the breakthrough because it showed that indeed the in vitro produce, so in the lab produce mRNA can produce in a, in, a, in a mouse the protein that you want to express. There are many other evidences that show indeed that work later on. And after that, the scientists and also uh, startups, companies start to increase the interest in this, in this technology. But yes, one of the disadvantages of the mRNA is indeed this very fragile molecule. So it's unstable. That's why there was also usually a debate between DNA vaccine or therapeutics and the mRNA vaccine. And so and uh, people tended to be more on the DNA side because it's a bit more you know, stable molecule. But there are also disadvantages like for delivering the molecules. So the DNA needs to go to the nucleus, no? and that's something that is also more difficult to reach. mRNA can also be translated in protein in the cytoplasm of the cell. So it's also easier and it's also transient. That's something that also... So this kind of instability of the mRNA is, uh, from one side, is a bad thing, but for the other side, it's also a good thing because it's something that, I mean, doesn't remain longer in the, in the body. So that's something that usually you don't want to have it uh, uh, therapeutics or something that remains longer in the body. So then, uh, yes, and of course, I mean, there is also the work of Carico and many other, I would say, scientists that, I mean, that saw that indeed, I mean, uh, the in vitro produced mRNA is, was immunogenic molecule. There was something, I would say, that creates unwanted immune response into the cells in vitro before and then also they check in animals. And they try to questioning why. So what was the difference between an endogenous uh, mRNA, so the mRNAs that we have in the body, they indeed try to see that there were some little modifications that makes those difference. They did a very cool experiments comparing, right, I mean, in vitro produced versus different kind of mRNAs. And they show that indeed, I mean, changing something in the mRNA structure they could reduce dramatically this unwanted uh, immune activation. And maybe one reason why this occurs in the body for, so why, why would the body actually react so strongly to the, to the RNA is that a lot of viruses are RNAs, right? So if you have like strange, if you're like an immune cell in the body and there's some strange RNA, it's like, oh, let's maybe, you think it's a virus. Let's, let's kill yeah. it. Let's kill it, of yeah. course. Yeah. It's probably yeah. not yeah. beneficial. Yeah. Yeah. Can, I, can I have a little word about this in vitro work, the design part, if you will? How does it work? How much data is involved and how much real old school lab? Yeah, I would say both. Of course, I mean, now we have a lot of more technologies that can help us to rapidly and deeply sequence, right? Uh, the, the, the protein, you know, the virus uh, that you want to then use and code into the mRNA to produce the, the antigen or the protein that you want to like. So I guess that right now there is a lot of, I would say, helps coming from these. And before it was a lot of, I would say, wet lab work <laughs> <laughs> with a lot of experiment to try to see 
if the protein is expressed by, you know, by biochemistry right. techniques. Right. Uh, so it's a combination of both. And I would say also I would like to mention that usually those breakthrough comes also with um, some kind of thinking out of the box, right? Because that's what also Carico showed, okay, you say, okay, there is something that is not as it should be, right? So let's right. go mm-hmm. back and check what's the difference, so why it's like this, and then she proved it. I mean, in the in the lab, basically, yeah. 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 I'm, I'm, I'm just asking this, and I don't want to do this very long, but I remember the former R&D boss of Zanufi Aventis told us in this podcast that he expects that lab work is screen work in yeah. a very short period of time to come, also accelerating the process of not only designing new drugs, but also finding new ways of, you know, you described this uh, trial and error process a little bit in the lab. And this can be very much abbreviated. Is it fair to say to assume that we will have huge mRNA treatments for cancer, which was one basic wing of the development in the past in a very short period of time? Yeah, I would say I would say yes. Indeed, I mean also for the manufacturing that it's also mm. a key, I would say key aspect on, on in the end of success of product because of course you need to have fast and I would say cheap as much as right. possible, right? right? Molecule because I mean in the end it needs to go to, to the market. And that's something that we uh, actually with mRNA Now we can have, so mRNA is a cell, so for production of in vitro mRNA is a cell-free method also. So it's very, I would say, easy in terms of manufacturing. Uh, that's one, another advantage of this technology if you compare with a classical biologics product, right? I mean, if you have antibody or proteins that you need to culture the cells or you need to have eggs or something else to produce, right? I mean, it's, uh, if you compare like this, it's very, it's enzymatic base. So you need to have your, I would say, your building blocks and your reaction condition and you can produce your final product. can be also personalized in terms of the cancer. So you can have a tailored and personalized therapy. So that's something that I'm, I'm sure that will come in the future years. So each person can have his own uh, personalized therapy then. Yeah. So I think what you just said, I mean, it's, it's a easily personalizable therapy, which is really cool because you can just take out a small part of a sequence mm-hmm. and change it so you yeah. don't have to reinvent the wheel every time. You basically only have to know the sequence of the mRNA or of the gene, which, for example, I think for, what was it, for the COVID vaccines, it was like after the sequence was published, they already had made the RNA like a couple mm-hmm. of weeks later. And then less than a year later, they had brought the product on the market so that shows how fast how cool that can go for the cancer vaccines i'm actually i'm more on the hesitant side so Mm -hmm. i have looked at this in the past many times and i find it very fascinating i think there are now some new data out from moderna and from biontech which yeah feel like okay maybe it's going somewhere so the idea behind these cancer vaccines is that you have like some molecule that cancer cells express And you vaccinate against that. Basically, you teach the immune system, uh, this is a cell we don't want, let's get rid of it. But somehow it doesn't appear to be, I mean, this concept has been around for a while and it doesn't appear 
to be that easy. But I think now there are some data coming out yeah. where uh, it seems to be working a little bit better. And what you just, Lucia, what you just said about the also the personalized therapy, I mean, what would be like really cool. And I think what like BioNTech and Moderna people are also pushing is this idea that you sequence the inv individual tumor, then you have like the all the tumor molecules. Right. And then for each person, you develop like this really personal mRNA vaccine which would be super cool. But so far, I mean, I think before this more recent studies, the data has been quite lackluster on it. I mean, there is an effect, but it's not like massive effect. All this is also a question of funding, obviously. And of course, we had the mountain of the vaccine that's been developed in ultrasound speed, I would say, it never happened before, you know, mm -hmm. that we had a, had a drug that quickly. And um, of course, we had the matches of pharma companies, BioNTech with Pfizer worked out. And of course, both needed each other at that point. But originally, I mean, Gushain said that one of the founders and CEOs of BioNTech said in a conference, I believe last year, that he has some doubts that how how far and how long this willingness also to invest, to finance, will last if it comes to the situation where you don't have quick success or follow-up success in, in that case. That connected with the question of European startups. I mean, it's a, BioNTech is a fairy tale in Germany, yeah. most definitely. And uh, even even the city of Mainz benefits in a way, in a way that is just so, crazy, you know. It's a bit they, like never, what, uh, they never had that much money in, in, yeah. in, their, in their bank, you it's know. It's like what we talked about with Novo in the last episode. Exactly. That suddenly you have a company that's like, oh, yeah, now okay. we're <laughs> exploding. Yeah, yeah. yeah. yeah that's, that's exploding. But... You know, an explosion lasts for a couple of seconds, probably, but not for years, let alone decades. And that's obviously what we would need for the further development of mRNA techniques. How would you both judge the willingness, also from a European standpoint, you know, where you have the obviously the majority of the big players in non-European countries? Yeah, I would say that's a good point, right? I mean, uh, that was, I would say, an emergency situation, right? So, and then we proved that for also in case of pandemic, that's something that could work because it's a technology that can react very fast. I mean, uh, of course, now we need to prove that it works in also all the other, I would say, aspects or all the other, I would say, disease that we want to fight, right? Cancer is one thing. We have vaccines. That's another, another I would say, in theory, the mRNA has the potential to to deliver almost all the proteins in the yeah. body. You can deliver enzymes, you can deliver antibody, you can treat the cancer. So there are many, many clinical trials going on. Actually, not only biotechs are working anymore on this, uh, on this topic, but there are also, I would say, let's call big pharma. So indeed, I mean, what you say before about Jochen Mass, I guess, right? right? I mean, yeah, I mean, Sanofi also invested massively on this technology because believe that it works. That's, but also we have Pfizer, we have, I guess, yes, Moderna. And I mean, we have many of them. Also in Europe, there are also a lot of funding that European government wants to, so wants, but already bring into the academy, but also collaboration with the company. So there is, I would say, a huge push 
for this. But of course, we need to prove right now that, I mean, uh, it's working not only in a, in a pandemic situation, but it's working. Yeah. Long, it's something that remains long lasting, right? Yeah. For, for long. Yeah. yeah. And I think, I mean, going beyond the infectious disease vaccines is the yeah. step. But I think not even that, because, I mean, there are a lot of infectious diseases still left that could be tackled. It's just that, I mean, we talked about it before, it's sometimes not the biggest interest of the pharmaceutical industry. Um, yeah. If there is not As a pandemic, always. that said, there's, I mean, there is also RSV, for example, which, I mean, they're like huge public health threats, and there's also a lot of money to be earned with it. So I think there's, it makes a lot of sense to also invest in this infectious disease vaccines. But going beyond that, I mean, we have cancer vaccines, and we have protein replacement therapies, which I think, I mean, would have what you just said, Lucia, massive potential to express any kind of protein that you want. So you could replace any kind of drug with an mRNA that's much faster to produce that you can like tailor very quickly and just put it in the body. It doesn't work that simply. I think we'll get into that in a second. <laughs> yeah. But I think one really interesting part about that is classically drugs are small molecules and they can only target a small proportion of proteins. They are very limited in the pool of targets that they can address. And going beyond that would, of course, be very beneficial to just treat many, many more diseases that are currently not treatable because you don't have a target. So having an mRNA that can just express any kind of protein could be very helpful. I think currently vaccines are the main promise because they work. And the protein replacement has some challenges which have nothing to do with the mRNA per se. But so the mRNA needs to be coated into some material. It's like kind of like a soap bubble. That's probably yep, a bit that's insulting, good. but... Uh, no, no, that's a good, uh, I would say, way of describing it. Yeah. yeah, it's like a bubble. Yeah, and then this bubble protects the mRNA from the enzymes in the body that want to kill the mRNA. So to protect that, there is this soap bubble that's called lipid nanoparticle that's put around. But that one really goes to the liver and the kidneys. And basically, all your mRNA ends up in your liver. So it's really good for targeting liver disease and really bad for anything else. Okay. Yeah, I would just add one thing here because yes, that's true. But there are also other, I would say, other technologies that are helping this targeting. Like uh, there are new, I would say, new ways of targeting also specific cells that you want to target. Like having, for instance, these lipid nanoparticles, but decorated with uh, antibody, nanobody, fab. Then you can directly select into your body the cells that you want to target, the cells that you want to express, then the protein that is encoded into the mRNA. Also, there are also studies showing that different, I would say, size of those nanoparticles has preferences in going in uh, cells or tissue. And that's also something that, I mean, uh, could help the replacement therapy, as you say. You can also deliver the mRNA in situ. That's something that also is a... Uh, could work, for instance, for eyes or yeah. brain or yeah. other kind of therapy. So there, has, there are ways yeah. or scientists are working to find uh, yeah, better targeting. But that's key. That's a key for replacement therapy. Yeah, yeah, no, absolutely. Yeah, so I was like, how you say, a bit negative. So I think once that works, and I think that's also a story for gene therapy, it's exactly yep. the same, right? So any, you need to go beyond the liver. And that's a big question, I think, in the community of having this novel therapeutics. And one also has to say, I mean, this is like super new everything. And there is already so many developments, I think, compared to like the classical way therapeutics were developed, we're really at a much, much higher speed now. So yep. 
I mean, also our expectations get very high. I think that everything right. works immediately. <laughs> true. But I mean, compared to, I think maybe 20 years ago, everything goes much faster. Yep. Also, I mean, as you said before, like aided by having artificial intelligence, having much faster sequencing. So, and now having this like super fast production method. So I think, I don't know, maybe mRNA could be really the therapeutic of the future because it's so it's so versatile and it has this like really fast potential to to make these changes to produce it quickly and to put it anywhere basically the name of this podcast is we are doomed we are saved we're pretty much saved until now there's some obstacles in the development, certainly, but the promises are quite huge to my ears, I would say. Let's get to the to the doom. And uh, we've been discussing this in this series on a regular basis, talking about how do people everywhere on planet Earth benefit? Because when it comes to malaria, when it comes to the benefits of using AI, you name it. When it comes to questions of longevity, we've over and over again, the North is profiting from it, the South is suffering. And it doesn't take HIV, for instance. It's, it's uh, the death penalty if you are in places like the Republic of Congo. Yeah. And it's, uh, I wouldn't go so far to say it's a normal life, but close to it when you're in Germany or in Belgium or in Italy. So with mRNA, what are your expectations when it comes to providing, especially given that you mentioned that this is highly individualistic or the potential is highly individualistic, to deliver help to those in need in places like Tanzania or Madagascar? Yeah, that is his... I would say a very uh, good observation of good thinking because I mean yes it's true I mean uh, we are lucky of living in a I mean in countries that we can afford but of course also thinking about uh, outbreak so Africa or is one of the places that also happens most, most frequently and that's very very good point I mean I would say that I mean globally There are initiatives or companies or are, are thinking also about it. I mean, there is also SEPI or other kind of company that are working to indeed, I mean, the mRNA technology more affordable for, for, for this place. I mean, one of today, I would say, uh, advantages of the technology is also the cold chain that the mRNA for the production needs to go through, right? I mean, uh, we still, but I would say we, we go there, we still not have a thermostable molecule. So, I mean, you need to always use a low uh, temperature to, Extremely to store. Low. Yes. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And to store and to so that's something that I mean is still we are still not there. But I mean there are also kind of solution that we are working on. It's like also having it's very I would say uh, good news what BioNTech was mm-hmm. was doing. So having this container that they can directly produce in situ so on the site. That I mean the outbreak is mRNA so for treating directly there so without having all of this cold chain logistic that was one of the issues also for the COVID of right course, I mean, of course yeah, yeah so there are ways of course that's still new te- uh, still a new technology more needs to come right but that's I would say it's something that all the scientific community needs to think about 
it's a topic that I am also very, I would say, very close uh, because I mean, uh, I I would like to have, uh, right? I'm very, I would say, very spread, and I mean, uh, and also the the, the in the equity way, right? So. Yeah. If the scientific community pulls on one rope, that's good, but you need the governments, obviously. And yep. uh, easy, the long-term solution, I guess, as long as we need those very low temperatures, can also only be local production, isn't it? In East Asia and Africa yeah. and, and stuff like that. So Probably. you have long transport that is avoided. Yeah, and there, I mean, I, I, that, that, I mean, you just mentioned it, Lucia. I don't actually know that that well, but of course, I mean, that would be one option. And I think if it's not so difficult to produce, that yeah. would be like anyways empowering, right, to have the production locally. Another thing could also be that you have just a thermostable RNA, which I think something, I mean, CureVac showed that in one study. I don't know if that's something that a lot of companies now are investing in, but it would, of course, be just very helpful if you don't have to freeze it, if it could just yeah. stay like, I don't know, maybe it doesn't have to be 50 degrees Celsius plus, but if it could be 10 degrees, that would yeah. already like yeah, work, with, lot, a, work with a normal ice pack and not like with liquid nitrogen I containers know. that, yeah, I mean, it's also just expensive. Yeah. And you need people who know how to operate. So that yeah, that's also an initiative tricky. from World Health Organization that right. are also trying to indeed bring the technology and also empower the people there, scientists there to, to produce the mRNA. So there is also, I would say, globally, I mean, direction to, so to help there and to go there as well. So one doomsday scenario that is right here is something that uh, I would con deeply connect to democracy in the North being at stake right now in very, very many countries. And I don't know if you ever met people who are, we call them, we have a nice word in German that's called Schwurbler, meaning people who have 25 arguments collected from Google and Darknet, whatever it is, to say, Well, Bill Gates wants to have the world government and is injecting with the mRNA treatment of COVID something into your bodies and blah, 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 blah. And if you speak to those people, you can't, there's no way to convince them. It's really, really tough. And I'm just walking out of the, those scenes personally, which is wrong. I know as a journalist, I should try to convince them that there is still something called enlightenment and there's a sense and there's a value to science but those people seem to be immune against that so we're talking about the anti-vaxxers and all the friends of them i want to add something to that yes, because please. i think it's actually not the mission to try to convince people because there are studies social studies that okay. you actually just the opinion just becomes more fixated mm -hmm. the more other people tell them that they're wrong It's not about facts. It's about like not wanting to be wrong. So the more you're proven wrong, the stronger you believe in what you believe. So basically, basically you, you, don't, you don't have to take it upon yourself as a mission. So to, what do you do when you meet a Schwurbler? I don't know. I mean, I don't meet so many anti-vaxxers and Schwurblers, but what I find a bit more scary or that what I'm exposed to more are people who are actually relatively rational, but then they pick up like these pieces of information, mm -hmm. like, for example, that mRNA vaccines cause infertility. That's something that I hear quite often. Okay. I don't know where that comes from, but apparently there was like some study that 
maybe shout that or maybe that was just a myth from the internet but that is something for example oh my God, yeah. or I mean genotoxicity risk the Surgeon General of Florida like I think two weeks ago said they should stop all mRNA vaccine research or like uh, distribution because apparently there would be genotoxicity risk so genotoxicity wow. meaning that it like inserts into your DNA and causes changes which is at the current stage really like proven to not happen so and i think these bits and pieces not of like people you would consider crazy and that also have a lot of other crazy ideas but this like small amounts of misinformation are the ones that are challenging and then i usually try to rationally say the majority of evidence shows that this is not the case and sometimes there are like studies that show one thing and you can interpret science in a very different way and correlation is not causation that's a big challenge because often just random health effects that people have are correlated to the vaccination so if you then two weeks later hit your foot and it hurts you think like yeah that's because of the vaccine <laughs> yeah yeah I completely, I completely agree uh, I completely agree that it's not easy to convince a person that is very much into this idea I, I tried actually yes as I say I, I didn't met really no vax people but people that was not fully convinced or that think that there was something else something going on no, something, something going on mysterious, something mysterious yeah. right And I mean, I try to convince them. I try to, sometimes they are, yes, yeah, I say, I mean, also the dark web that it's not very dark. Sometimes it's just, just you open your, 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 like your phone and pop up some kind of, uh, you know, fake news that say something. And also, some, yeah, there is also this kind of, I uh, would say, this kind of information that is open to everybody, you know, sometimes without kind of filter sometimes. So it's it's like if I if I read something about, I don't know, weather, like, and then you say, okay, there is some some mysterious reason why now is is snowing or but then if you speak with a weather expert, they say, okay, there is explanation why now is snowing, right? I mean, that's the same. I mean, of yeah. course, scientists are here to also to help trying to understand, but also you need to have a people that wants to hear from, uh, from yeah, the that's science. that's exactly where i would love to to close this episode and where i want to go for a bit i mean it's not harmless it's not funny anymore when you have death threats for instance to towards drosten who was maybe the public face in the, mm -hmm. the COVID discussion in Germany. Mm -hmm. Or Fauci in, in the US. Same story, same thing. And at that point, it gets quite serious, I think, that the necessity to have scientists, to have politics, and I guess my little branch, which is journalism, to stand on one side united, right? Yeah, it, even more and in, even with more urgency than it has been the case in the, in the past few years. Yeah, I agree. And I, I think also having something maybe is not uh, now so popular anymore, having this kind of uh, also interview or having scientific journalists that, I mean, are well prepared and bring the, the truth in the end or also can question because, I mean, uh, of, course. of course, science is doubt, right? I mean, yeah. you need to question. I mean, uh, it's where you, you, the scientists progress and the science progress. So it's something that also if you look at the, you know, the TV shows, Uh, maybe something that is not such popular anymore. So you have a lot of 
information, but not well, I would say. Not such a good explanation. Explanation, well described, or sometimes very in the superficial part. So, and then, I mean, people believe what they see, right? I mean, what then... So I think that could be also from the scientific community can be something that we can improve, try to also explain, try to explain in a better way, simple word, kind of communicate better onto the, the, the doctors, the family doctors. That's also a very key, I would say, uh, aspect on trust, right? Because I mean, absolutely. Yeah, and I think that's an important word that you said there, trust. I think people lost trust without any reason to lose trust. But I think they it's more that it's everything's so complex. And then this pandemic, I think, I mean, I think for having like a stable job and a situation where you're relatively safe, I think we, maybe for many of us, it didn't, I mean, it was also not a nice situation, but it was not this like super stressful situation. But I think for a lot of other people, they really, they were really threatened in their really ex existence. And I think then having some like smart ass scientists, oh no, we have to like put explicit language. Let's. No, that's okay. <laughs> we'll beep it. Um, yeah, exactly. Coming on to the television and saying like, yeah, now I tell you everything and I, I don't take you seriously. And yeah. I think that's yeah. taking, even though the worries of people are sometimes slightly crazy, trying to take them seriously and talk them through it without being so prerogative and saying like, yeah, everything you say is stupid. I think that's, really important and that's something that scientists are not always so good at because yeah. I mean and I think one thing is also a misconception about how science works that you don't have like in science there is no proof you have like many studies that show one thing and then you have yeah. some studies that show another thing and it's not that these mRNA vaccines don't have any risks it's also not that any other vaccines right, don't have any risks yeah. but it's also that having COVID has a lot of risks. So, yeah, I mean, that's so just the thing, proven. right? Yes. It's very non-black and white. Yeah. And I think for people that is very difficult to understand and very difficult to accept that in science, it's more like a majority vote <laughs> of what is the truth. <laughs> yeah. And it's not, there's one truth and everything that deviates says like, yeah, every, everything is wrong. Yeah. Science is doubt. I take this with me. But before we close entirely philosophical, let's get back to mRNA. What are your con very concrete expectations five years from now? Where will we stand? What new line of drugs treatments will be in place? I, even though I was a bit doubtful, would still hope for the cancer vaccines. And I think in combination with another type of class, which are so-called checkpoint inhibitors, that's a very successful drug class for uh, many types of cancer that has really, for, for example, skin cancer been revolutionary for many patients. And I think that can be boosted by mRNA vaccines. And that would be really cool if it would expand the potential of these already really well-working drugs towards other cancers and towards more patients. That could be pretty cool. Yeah, I would agree. This is one of... I would say most promising, also because yes, you can think that mRNA can be combined with other therapies that are already working right now. And I also think about yes, I mean thinking about infection disease. That's something that I think would, would work also bacteria, not only virus. I mean, can you also can 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 fight bacterial infection, 
that's something that I see that we work on the next five years, but also all the, the gene therapy world. I mean, uh, I mean, I think we are not so far away to also to treat kind of gene like, yeah, replacement or like on, on this direction. CRISPR is also another. We never mentioned, but that's Don't another. open Pandora's box right now. <laughs> yeah, let's, yeah, let's, that, I mean, let's that, stop like this. Yeah, yeah CRISPR is um, also a big field. Yeah. yeah. Lucia Easy, many thanks. I mean, this is fascinating stuff and glad to have you. Thank you so much for inviting me. <laughs> can I today end with a quote? Of course you yeah. can. Because I, I really liked something that the vice chair of the Nobel Prize Committee said for awarding this prize in line with the anti-vaxxer debate, that he actually said that awarding uh, or giving the Nobel Prize for this COVID vaccine can make hesitant people that take the vaccine and be sure that it's very efficient and safe. So, I mean, he says, like, not probably the, the schwobler, the crazy people will be convinced, but that this might tip the scales towards, like, believing in this technology that's 30, 40, 50 years in the making and not was not developed in one year. And that, I think, is pretty, pretty nice, bringing back together this story. We are doomed, we are saved, episode number 19 mRNA therapeutics, new applications for an old molecule, in-depth information in this episode. If you like the show, subscribe to it. Your feedback is very, very welcome. See you next time around. Thank you. <laughs>